Welcome to the Well Woman Show, where we interview women executives, leaders, and entrepreneurs. And you're listening to the Well Woman Show, where motivated women achieve fulfillment and well-being. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. Take time for myself by coming to things like Well Woman Drinks. To be accepting of myself no matter what. Step away from judgment as much as possible. You're listening to the Well Women Show. Just, you're going to be in for a good ride. I don't regret anything. Everything I've ever done, I've learned from it, one way or another, good or bad. Being a little bit selfish for yourself, you know, put your own oxygen mask on first and then give what's left. I'm a woman. I would prefer to, to tell my own story. My story, though it's very personal, is universal. You're listening to the Well Woman Show. And now your host, Giovanna Rossi. Hi, Giovanna Rossi here, and welcome to another episode of The Well Woman Show, where I interview women leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs about their lives and their road to becoming and being who they are today. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed with your responsibilities, and it seems like you'll never get it all done? Well, you're not alone. We all need to remember to use our superpowers, the ones we already have but don't use all the time, and take advice and wisdom from one another. Towards the end of the show, in a segment called Superpowers for Success, I ask my guest about her superpowers, and the answers will give you the strength, perspective, and power to keep on being the well woman you are. I'm so happy you're here, so thanks for tuning in. My guests today are Dr. Jan Warbinski and Allie Hill. Jan is the director of the Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative, and she's a board-certified OBGYN. Allie Hill is a wine representative in Albuquerque, New Mexico, who is studying to be a sommelier. Today, I speak with Jan and Allie about the health benefits and risks of drinking wine, what wine consumption means for women and differences between the sexes, and how both women handle working in a topic, the alcohol topic, that is dominated by men. It's a super interesting show. It's really um, interesting to look at the differences uh, of, between how men and women taste wine and how they absorb wine in their body. And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. This show is, um, is definitely timely for the holidays. You can tell I have a little bit of a sore throat. I just got back traveling from New York City and I'm a little under the weather but I am pushing through and um, going to make this uh, show great for you. So now to my interviews with Jan and Allie. I'm speaking this afternoon with Dr. Jan Werbinski, who is an OBGYN and executive director of the Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative. Welcome to the program, Dr. Werbinski. Thanks, Giovanna. Um, today on the program, as you know, we're talking about wine and health and women's health and um, the effects of wine and how wine affects women and men differently. And I know historically in drug and alcohol abuse research, as in other fields of public health research, participants have been largely male and research findings that have emerged over the past couple of decades have clearly established the importance of studying factors specific to women and differences between males and females in all areas and, and, and also in, in the area of alcohol consumption and abuse. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and your perspective on that? Sure. Um, you're right. Most of the studies were done in men, and it's been shown that 
uh, 12-step programs work better for men than women. That was one of the first bits of knowledge we had. But now there's more research coming out on gender differences, although the studies are small with small numbers of people. But there are some um, little facts that we uh, can probably hang our hat on. Um, One is that women... um, need four drinks to five drinks in men to get the same blood alcohol level. So they get a higher level sooner with a smaller amount or with the same amounts of alcohol. So they get impaired earlier than men. Um, And how long have we known about that? uh, Probably about two years now. Um, And they also um, get damage to their vital organs Sooner with smaller amounts of alcohol. So like when you develop alcoholic hepatitis or brain disease, um, dementia, and uh, cirrhosis, they actually develop sooner in women than men for the same amount of alcohol consumed. And there are different theories as to why that might be. One is that um, estrogen levels um, actually can increase an enzyme that breaks down alcohol quicker. So They get a higher blood level, but they um, they actually drop their alcohol levels slower than men. So they're more sober earlier than men after a, a bout of alcohol. Um, another thing they've done a lot of study on you know the differences in hormone um, effects in women. Like, do they get drunker in the premenstrual psych- part of their cycle or whatever? And all they've really found is that estrogen does. Um, increase the uh, hormone that breaks down alcohol faster and that progesterone uh, increases the blood level sooner. So it really, you can't really make a lot of sense out of that because uh, they they haven't really been able to tell what part of the cycle you might be more vulnerable to a problem. Mm -hmm. And those studies are really all in animals, not, not in women at all. And then women on the pill have totally different effects on their alcohol because of the type of hormone they're on. So what does this mean for the uh, general consumer, you know, all of the the women out there who may not know about this? What what does all of that mean for them and their daily, you know, intake of alcohol? And we're talking, you know, women who may just have a glass of wine or a drink every week or, you know, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where women are drinking a lot. Right. Well, we know that four drinks a day is heavy alcohol use in a woman, whereas five drinks a day is heavy alcohol use in a man, which has more damage to the organs. So we know to avoid large amounts or binge amounts. Um, There's really not a lot known about one glass of wine a day. Um, There are some studies actually that show that it might help keep women healthier because there's a, there's a nutrient in red grapes called resveratrol, which actually can decrease your cholesterol level and your bad cholesterol. Although a lot of those studies are in men, but um, so there might be some health additives to having a glass of wine a day. So I think, the bottom line is you can probably tolerate a glass of one glass of any alcoholic beverage a day with a maximum of five per week with probably not a lot of negative effects. Hmm. Okay. And you said 
that those studies about the effect of the grape um, in red wine, those studies really have been mostly on men. Is that all, yes. all of them really on men? or no, can... no, the problem, you know, with any research is that the NIH now is mandated to include women in all studies, the... which is great, but they don't have to report the results by sex. So, Can we just back up a second, get... um, Dr. Warbinski, yeah. just for our listeners, the NIH is the National Institutes of Health, and they fund a lot of the research that um, our public health policies are based on. That's right. And our taxes pay for that research. So um, it's been mandated by law that they include women in all studies that it's feasible to include women, but they don't have to report the results by sex. So a lot of times women get just uh, third in with the whole um, group and you can't tell the differences. Um, And of course, it is more expensive to study women separately because of this whole cyclic change in things, you know, it's, you have to study women more intensely at different weeks of the month because of the cyclicity. So, um, I think, I think we know now that there are a couple of bills uh, being introduced in Congress to, um, mandate that this, these studies show results by sex, which is a, a great stride ahead for sex and gender medicine. But right now the, the research is sort of clumped together in men and women, and you don't see women separately all the time yet. And that's even even with the mandate that the research include women, we're still not seeing the sec- the data disaggregated by sex. Right, because it costs a lot more to do research that way. They have to have twice as many people in the, in the research because they are actually really doing two research projects, one on women and one on men. So and then, then the whole hormonal change in women makes it harder, too. So then the mandate for having women included in the research isn't really effective. <laughs> well, they thought it was. You know, it's like anything. You, you think you're doing a good thing until you actually see it in practice, and then you figure, you know, um, that the data can get blinded because um, they don't separate the, the results. And um, what are these bills in Congress, if people are interested in looking at those or following the progress? Oh, dear. I would have to look up the number, but there's one that they just introduced this week, and I think it's called something like Healthcare for All. I I can send you that um, link uh, because our Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative have signed on to the the, uh, paper to support it. but. they're trying to fix that that gap in our knowledge and and require that the results come out sex stratified. Okay, good. And also, just last month, the NIH um, mandated that all cells that we do research on and rats and animals that we do research on have to be stratified by sex now, too, because for the same reason, most of the animal studies are done on male animals. So um, we don't know if that applies. That that's what happened in the ambient research. We didn't know until it was actually on the market that the dose for men is twice the dose needed for women. Wow! So uh, women are driving impaired the day after they take their ambient. Right. And going back to the alcohol intake, um, 
you're, you said earlier that we just learned a couple of years ago about the different um, levels that men and women should be uh, consuming. Mm-hmm. Has has that information uh, made its way into public health recommendations, or where are we with with translating that research into practice? Um, I can't be accurate about it, but my guess is that it's still pretty hidden. Um, um, when I tried to do a search just recently on that, um, I think the best website to look for uh, women health differences is the four number four woman.gov uh, that's part of the office of women's health okay. nationally um, and and if there are differences you'll probably find them there but in your regular doctor's office or in medical school um, I'm sure the information isn't there yet because that's one of the things the Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative is working so hard to do is to get the curriculum to include sex differences. Okay. And um, I'm going to ask you about the collaborative in just a moment, but I wanted to just finish up on this issue of alcohol. Um, You're an OBGYN doc. What do you recommend to your patients? I mean, in Europe, women drink a glass of wine when they're pregnant. What do you recommend to your to your patients? How how does alcohol affect pregnancy? Well, we certainly know about fetal alcohol syndrome in in heavy drinkers, meaning mm-hmm. four servings a day or four servings within an hour, within a two hour period, but. Um, <clears throat> The the standard recommendation that's in all of the guidelines of like American College of OBGYN and um, the Endocrine Society say no alcohol at all in pregnancy because we don't have any data that shows how much is safe. We do have that retrospective data in especially France, you know, where they drink wine every day um, and they have uh, lower heart disease and not a lot of fetal alcohol syndrome. So we have these observational studies. It's probably okay to drink one a day, but we don't have any hard data that says, yes, it definitely is okay to drink one glass of wine a day. So officially our stance has to be at this time, no alcohol during pregnancy. Mm. But again, it's usually the heavier drinkers that have the fetal alcohol syndrome. Yeah. Okay. And we really don't know, you know, the the size of a small developing brain, how much alcohol it would require to hurt that baby's brain as opposed to an adult brain. Right. Okay. And um, let's talk a little bit about the Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative. And what, Mm -hmm. what, when was that formed and what are you working on? Well, it was formed originally as a committee of the American Medical Women's Association called the Women's Health Working Group. And um, out of that, we uh, actually formed a sort of a grassroots group of people who were interested in sex and gender medicine. And we're kind of changing the vernacular from talking about women's health to sex and gender specific health because it will help both women and men. And women's health has sort of been marginalized now because People who aren't in that field just say, well, that's, you know, that's OBGYN. It's already taken care of. We don't have to worry about that. Where we know now that we have to worry about that in every single specialty in medicine. So um, by naming it sex and gender rather than women's health, 
um, we're reaching a larger audience, both in the in the people who are teaching and learning, and in the public who need to know those differences. And give because us we a- really feel we really feel we're going to improve men's health as well as women's health with this project. And how is that? I mean, I, I've covered sex and gender health and medicine on this show in the past, but will you just give our listeners a brief synopsis of sex and gender medicine and why we need to look at all aspects of health through the sex and gender lens now? Well, when I speak about it, the thing that hits home most are actual examples of people who have been harmed or not helped because the sex differences were invisible. And I mentioned before the Ambien issue, you know, they studied Ambien mostly in in men and decided the 10 milligram dose was the average dose. But after it got on the market and women started using it, they were having car accidents the next day. And then, so then they were doing, they decided to do blood levels on women and found these very, very different uh, amounts of, of, drug in the blood for a longer period of time in women. So now the FDA has actually changed their recommendation of the dose for women. So um, it's those kinds of things that people, it's just not even on the radar until you see the problems. Eight out of 10 drugs that were removed from the market in an eight-year period were all because of side effects in women. So that's only one area in in pharmacology. But, um, you know, I, I have a patient in my practice who was having heart symptoms, and her heart symptoms were jaw pain. And for a year, she was sent to a dentist, and um, she was given nerve medication, and nobody thought about her heart until she had a heart attack. Um, And so it's those kinds of things that, you know, the symptoms of a heart attack are different in women. Um, Men die more often after an osteoporotic fracture from osteoporosis, and nobody thinks about men having osteoporosis, but it's a it's a definite health risk for men. And it's only recently that we've started even doing bone scans on men to look for osteoporosis. They develop it, but just as badly as women, even worse. But it's ten years after the usual time that women develop it. Right. Okay. So, and I could go on to four hundred different. Yeah little vignettes to well, show those differences. Do you have a website for the collaborative or should people go to the fourwomen.gov? Oh, no. Um, well, it depends on what they're looking for. If they're looking for practical um, lay person language, I think the, um, the fourwomen.gov is good. Um, our website is designed uh, right now. All, what we're doing is putting... Um, abstracts of journal articles on our website that have shown gender differences. And they're pretty easy to understand. You know, they're just a paragraph. And what and is if your... you want to learn more. Okay. What is your website? It's um, it's SGWHC, Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative. So I have to remember those letters, sgwhc.org. Okay. Okay, great. Well, we'll check that out and we can learn more there about sex and gender differences. I want to thank you so much for being on the program and talking about uh, these differences and how they affect women and, and with regards to wine and alcohol. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Wierbinski. You're welcome, Giovanna. And just let me add that on our website, you can actually 
type in your email address, and then we send you email blasts when we put a new article up that's of interest to you. We'll put the title of the article. Oh, great. Okay. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jen. You're very welcome, Giovanna. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm sitting here speaking with Allie Hill, who is a wine representative with Favorite Brands, which is a wine distribution company. Welcome to the program, Allie. Thank you, Giovanna. Allie is um, a wine rep, but she's studying for to become a sommelier. Can you tell us what that is? Sure. That's a classification um, for wine salespeople. It's primarily aimed towards the restaurant business. Um, If you dine out at a nice restaurant and you're looking at this giant wine book and you're confused about what to order, generally a sommelier can help you. Um, They'd look at the types of wines that you like and what you're going to have for dinner and help you pair something that would uh, complement it. Okay. Well, today on the show, we are talking about wine and health and women. And um, the main question that I wanted to start with is, um, well, the, the question that we're discussing on the show is, is wine good for your health? And do you have an opinion about that as a sales rep? I mean, of course, you would probably want to sell more wine. (laughs) But what do you say about that? Sure. I am in the business of selling wine, so I could be a little bit biased. But I do think that wine has some significant health benefits, of course, in moderation. Moderation is key, but I think it's a great way to uh, unwind, to relax, to pair something delicious with your dinners. And uh, it does have some heart-healthy benefits. But moderation, of course, is key. Too much wine, obviously, can be detrimental to your health in a variety of ways. Okay. So um, the World Health Organization recently published a report analyzing the consumption of wine in different countries. And I guess not surprisingly, the U.S. is not super high on the list. Um, and also not surprisingly, Italy and France were higher, <laughs> higher up on the list, with the U.K. being sort of in the middle and Mexico being way down at the bottom. Um, what... Is you, has what's your experience of wine consumption in the U.S. in, in terms of what you see in your job? It's definitely a growing category. Um, in fact, Americans are drinking more on whole. And interestingly enough, um, the sales of beer, wine, and alcohol rise during a recession. So even though we saw a dip in a lot of people's salaries or uh, Income, we did see a rise in the sale of spirits, wine and alcohol, beer. Um, so typically Americans do tend to drink more beer than wine, but that's changing a little bit. In fact, it's changing as a whole. Americans are starting to be a little bit more educated about what they do drink. So we're seeing a rise in craft beer and fine wine, getting away from the jug wine category. So that's exciting. Now, in terms of men and women drinking wine, do, do men and women taste wine differently or consume wine? differently is there a is there a gender difference in in wine tasting or consumption absolutely um, in general this is a scientific fact that women uh, are more sensitive to smells and in fact have more taste buds on their tongue so they tend to be more more um, sensitive to different smells and flavors and more women than men are super tasters people who identify those five categories uh, of different flavors more accurately so in my business we actually talk about the feminine palate and what that means 
is kind of what we were touching at. Um, they're able to pick up on a lot of different flavors that sometimes men aren't. And even in their styles, you can see that. If you're looking at red wine consumption, um, maybe a little stereotypical, but women do tend to drink more Pinot Noir, a softer style of red wine, than big Napa cabs. Uh, for some reason, the men seem to love these. And that's not true across the board for everyone, but um, statistically, there is a there's a small difference. And does that gender difference explain why maybe more women drink wine than men? I think so. I think part of it, um, I know for myself at least sometimes, um, I look at the caloric intake. Uh, beer tends to be a little bit more fattening and people tr- tend to drink a little bit more of it. Um, I often drink wine because I think it tastes good. Um, and I don't necessarily get those same things out of beer. There's some amazing beers, and there's beers that I love. But wine seems to taste better to me, I have to say. And is it better to drink wine with food? For I mean, there are different reasons, I suppose, that you would drink wine with food in terms of the alcohol intake. But is there a taste reason, a uh, flavor reason to drink wine with food? Absolutely. Um, If you look at Italian wines, um, the Italians invented wine to go with the food. That is basically what it is. And the wine from a certain region has been shaped to complement the food from that particular region. They're meant to be eaten and drunk together and enjoyed. Um, That's not necessarily true for everything. Um, Although champagne pairs well with an amazing variety of foods, typically we kind of think of drinking that on its own, if not with strawberries or something. Um, It's amazing the way food and wine interact and there's a whole science that goes into it and that's where the sommelier thing kind of comes in. But it can be a good thing or a bad thing. We've all brushed our teeth and then had a sip of orange juice and you have that shocking, terrible taste in your mouth. There's definitely ways you can go wrong. But when we talk about pairing food and wine, you're looking to either complement them, similar styles, or to contrast. So a uh, very famous pairing is foie gras with sauterne, two very rich rich things and they seem to play off of each other um, something that would oppose that if you were having a heavy cream sauce you might do something with a little bit more acid like a Sauvignon Blanc to kind of cut through that the most famous is probably steak and big Cabernet Sauvignons um, whereas if you're having that cab by itself you might get that um, the tannins kind of attack the proteins uh, in your saliva and you get that thing where your cheeks kind of stick to your teeth and it's very dry um, it's paired beautifully with steak because the steak has so much of that rich, fatty juiciness, and the cab can cut right through that. Okay, so um, you gave us some examples of pairing. What about different kinds of wines that um, affect people differently? Like some wines give people headaches and some don't and some people say champagne makes them sick and some don't what is what is the story there there's definitely a phenomenon known as the red wine headache and um I think it's different for everybody, but if you ask Thomas Fogarty, um, he's a heart surgeon who started his own winery. He makes fantastic wines. Uh, he says the number one reason is overconsumption. So typically, we, we don't like to think of it as a hangover, but frequently that's exactly what it is. It depends, you know, how much food you had before, during, while you were consuming this. Um, were you dehydrated as well? 
And we want to look at the quality of what we're drinking. You touched on the champagne thing, but when people say that champagne gives them a headache, more often than not, they're not actually drinking champagne. They're drinking um, a lesser form of sparkling wine, and often if it's a wedding, probably a cheap one. And those tend to have lots of different uh, impurities and added sugar, and we know that sugar can further dehydrate you and give you that hangover. But there are certainly uh, people with... um, some allergies to the different things in the wine. Um, the number two, the two um, suspects, uh, those would be histamines and sulfites. And people are constantly asking, um, you know, what kind of wines don't have sulfites? All wines do. It's naturally occurring within the wine, but it can also be added as a preservative. Um, and if you have a sensitivity to that, obviously, the more there is, the more you're going to have a reaction to it. Okay, I want to pick up on something you just said about sugar in wine, or you said in champagne, but is is sugar added to wine and champagne generally? So um, there's always going to be some small amount of sugar because that's exactly how you get the fermentation process. You either have glucose, sucrose, or fructose, um, and when those react with the yeasts, fermentation occurs and the uh, byproducts are ETOH, ethanol, or and uh, carbon dioxide. So... You look at the sliding scale. We talk about residual grams of sugar. If you have something sweeter, like, say, a Riesling, that's going to be a little bit higher with residual sugar, it's actually going to have lower alcohol because it's a sliding scale. Um, what do you mean sliding scale? Like the more sugar, the less alcohol? Yes, okay. that's exactly what I mean. Okay. And so some of these bigger, drier red wines, which have little to no sugar, can reach upwards of 16% alcohol by volume, which is fairly high. Um, for white wines, you generally won't see anything above 12 or 14%. Between, I would say between 11 and 13% is pretty average for a wine. Um Vino Verde is on the lighter side, usually around 9 or 10%, which makes it such a great thing in the heat. Mm. Sometimes you you always want to be drinking water with whatever kind of alcoholic beverage you're drinking to avoid the dehydration. Okay, that's a good tip. Um, can you give our listeners other tips in terms of choosing a good wine? Um, both, you know, that won't break the bank and, and maybe something that if they do want to splash out a little bit. But how, how does someone just go about choosing a, a nice bottle of wine? This is really interesting because if you look at the statistics, women tend to be far more adventurous when it comes to choosing a wine and more educated. Uh, I'm sure we've all been to Costco or different stores where you see those little shelf talkers and they say, wine parker, uh, wine advocate, wine spectator, 90 points or above. And those can be great uh, to help you avoid uh, landmines. You know, we've all been there where you bought it. You buy a bottle of wine, it's very disappointing, and you've wasted your money. But um, women tend to ask more questions at the point of sale. They do tend to seek somebody out who uh, has the answers to their questions, and they're not um, confined. Men do t- tend to buy a lot of high ranking uh, and cabs. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it's also good to branch out. One fantastic way is uh, if you're at a restaurant, ask your server or bartender for a sample. Say, I'm interested in trying this Albarino or this varietal I've never had before. Can you pour me a sample and then I will commit to buying the glass if I enjoyed it? And if not, keep moving. Find something you do like. And that's not considered a, a waste of their time? That's like they expect you to ask for that? Absolutely. If it's a fine dining establishment, this is not out of the question at all. Yeah. And it's a fabulous chance for your server to talk you into 
to a more expensive glass of wine, maybe they get a bigger tip. So there's something in it for everyone. Now, this gender difference that you just talked about in terms of um, asking more questions and being more adventurous, um, how does that impact you as a salesperson? I mean, do you then target, you know, the women differently than men or how, do, how does that play out in your everyday life? It is pretty interesting. Uh, in my job, primarily, I'm running around to different restaurants, bars, package stores in town. And I talk to the wine buyer, and um, we taste different things. Um, it does tend to be a male-dominated business. Um, most of my coworkers are male, and most of the buyers making the decisions are male. Um, which is a little ironic, considering most of the consumers are female. But I will say that, uh, going back to your earlier question, when you're buying wine at a package store or a Costco or a grocery store, that's a fantastic chance to splurge a little. Um, I definitely like to support our local independents. So Quarters and Jubilation are probably my top picks. If you go to Quarters Yale, uh, you can generally catch one of the Nellos, Connie or Jan. They can help you pick out something that you like. And once you develop that relationship, they can help steer you towards wines that you may not have tried that you can enjoy. Because when you're buying wine by the glass or the bottle in a restaurant, you're paying such a higher markup. How much more? It's a little scary to think about, but a typical formula is to charge the consumer for one glass possibly what your retailer is paying for the entire bottle. Right. It's pretty customary. It's just a, it's a high markup. But um, I have noticed since the recession that uh, a lot of people are doing features, specials, happy hours, half-off wine nights, mm-hmm. which is fantastic for the consumer. Yeah. And so that is interesting that mostly men are making the decisions about which wines to buy and they're not as adventurous in terms of, you know, that male-female um, dynamic with wine. Um, but they're, so they're selecting the wine, but women are drinking it. And so um, do you find you have to offer up more suggestions Are they when they try to play it safe? Um, typically, the people I do deal with uh, and the majority of the male buyers are fairly informed about what they're doing. So it's not that hard. But we do talk about it's not what I like or what the buyer likes. We're looking for something the consumer wants. So you may not drink white Zinfandel. You and I maybe don't. But somebody out there does. Maybe our grandmas do. So we've got to have it on the list anyway. So we look at what's a good one and what is not. Okay. And then um, I wanted to ask you what tips you have for listeners who are maybe choosing a bottle of wine to take to a dinner party where you don't know what the food will be. So that's always a tough one. Um, if you know what the occasion is, if it's a uh, a birthday or a baby shower, bubbles I think is always fun and festive. Um, sparkling wine, prosecco, cava, champagne, even just a sparkling wine from our local New Mexico brewery is a fantastic winery. Um, if you know it's going to be a barbecue, um, rosés, zinfandels can be fantastic. If you suspect it may be more of a sit-down dinner, um, chardonnay is always welcome, Sauvignon Blanc. Um, a cheaper Bordeaux, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon. These are always big hits. And what's a good um, price point to shoot for in a in a store for a wine that you're giving to a host? You can get great wines under twenty dollars. 
when you jump into that $15 to $20 range, you can see some serious quality that you would pay quite a bit for at a restaurant. But again, work with your retailer. I I love the jubilations and quarters, and um, Anthony does a great job there on Wyoming. If you tell them what you've enjoyed in the past or what your host has, he can steer you towards a genre. You know, maybe this, this, or this, and then you can use your best guess to find out. Okay, and do you have any other tips for people in terms of wine or uh, selecting a wine? I, that is my biggest tip is to be adventurous. There are so many wines out there. There's so many fantastic ones. Um, it's easy to go out to a restaurant and say, oh, I like such and such a brand of Chardonnay or I like this one. But typically the best wines are not the ones that are sold everywhere. I equate it to where you go grocery shopping. Do you shop at Smith's or Albertsons? Do you go to a Whole Foods or do you go to your local farmer's markets? Uh, in my opinion, some of the best wines are wines you've never heard of because they're produced on a much smaller scale. They're not available in Costco, but they're fantastic and often a better value. So you look for these little gems. And I, there's so many fantastic wines for different occasions. Uh, right now it's heating up, so I'm loving some rosé uh, right around the sunset and some lighter style of reds. Um, Vino Verde is fantastic to beat the heat. And like I said, it's a lower alcohol, slightly frizzante, slightly sparkling wine that's a lot of fun in the summer. Okay, thanks. I've been speaking with Allie Hill um, today. And uh, thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. That's it for our show today. I've been speaking with Dr. Jan Werbinski, the director of the Sex and Gender Women's Health Collaborative, and Allie Hill, a wine representative who's on her way to becoming a sommelier. I spoke with Jan and Allie about their experience studying and working with wine for women, how they handle working in a male-dominated environment, and they gave me tips for how women can choose the right wines for them and get the most out of the bottle. You can get the freebie at wellwomanlife.com slash 043 show. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks, just email info at wellwomanlife.com. And be sure to check out the holiday party if you're in the local area here. You can go to wellwomanlife.com slash events. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This really helps raise visibility of the show, which is super helpful when it comes to getting the show out to other women who haven't heard about it yet. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at facebook.com slash groups slash Well Woman Life community. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week.